Hi everyone and you're very welcome to the podcast with, as you can see, the Irish women's international team manager Vera Pau, who I'm very excited to speak to today. Vera, it's good to see you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to this, I have to say. Uh, obviously, I've covered a lot of the women's games since you've been here, but we haven't met like this, so I'm really looking forward to uh, not only discussing everything with you today, but also the fact that we just met up, so it's good to see you. Thank you. I'll be yeah. as open as I can. Well, that's good. That's good. And it'll be all nice and relaxed, so don't worry. Um, but before we get into the whole, I suppose, the fact that you're managing the national team and the pressures and, and obviously the qualification campaigns and all that kind of stuff, I want to take you right back to the very, very start. And obviously, you're from the Netherlands. So as a young girl growing up in the Netherlands, playing with her two brothers out in the street, did you ever envisage the life that you would have, um, the fact that you've been obviously so busy in terms of football and, and the longevity that you've had in the, in the football world as well? Yeah, as a young kid, not, of course. Um, I was one of a triplet, mm. and so we were all in the same age. Uh, it was not so much that my brother was, brothers were taking me uh, on, on the street to play football, but there were no girls in the in the neighborhood. So I was just one of the of the group, and the rest of the groups were boys. Okay. Uh, so we played every day on the street, and I, I knew quite early that I wanted to go into sport. I wanted to have my profession in sport, and um, at primary school, I knew already that I wanted to go to the University of Physical Education, and after that, I wanted to specialize myself. I knew that very early. Okay, it really? was very much into my yeah, yeah in, in, into my genes almost. <laughs> yeah, it's surprising you say that because a lot of people wouldn't know, being so young, wouldn't know exactly what's uh, the path for them or what they want to be. Even as they get into their teenage years and even longer after that, people yeah. still don't know what they'd like to be. So it's interesting you say that even so young, you knew you would have a life in football. So in Holland, you need to choose what direction you want to go and you need to choose the subjects that you would like maths or, or languages or but I knew exactly what I needed okay. to, so for me it was not an issue to make my choices during my secondary school or the, um, uh, and what, what to well what I needed to go in the direction that I wanted and was it always football like was the, how influential were your brothers? In that journey, I suppose, in the early days, because maybe I was more influential to them. Okay, <laughs> yeah, okay. I was the one who was was focused on getting the top to the top, wanting to become world champion, which I never got there. But mm. that was my 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 goal, and uh, um, I think that that for for them, football was something that on the yeah in in puberty they felt that they wouldn't get to to the top. Um, and I could only start playing when I was 13 mm. with the club because there was no girls football yet and mixed gender football was not, yeah, was just not an option. So um, when I started at the age of 13, they had already played for six, seven years okay. uh, with the club. Uh, for me, the spark became, became a fire at an age that others would probably look into also do other things. Mm. So for me, it was always football. And it was just one direction. That was the aim of life. And that club was VV Brederodes? Brederodes, yeah, yeah. Very good. You did your homework. Yeah, so wow. at 13 years old, yeah. And, um, tiny, tiny um, village yeah. in the Netherlands. Um, so they the would not the like it if they hear that, but it is in the Netherlands. Now it's, now it's quite famous that city but back then it was just a village and um but the club was very good okay. it was a very structured well structured club and in terms of i suppose 
like the world we live in nowadays and obviously the team you're managing the girls with the national team and the game is growing at a rate of knots which is brilliant but back then in the mid 70s obviously the game wasn't anywhere near where it is now but for you to get involved at a, at a club at 13 just where was the club at in terms of their aspirations for what they wanted no, no there was there was not an opportunity to think in terms like a national champion or they were uh, just happy to provide a club yeah. for the local so community so the next segments. one was, was um, a woman of mid 20s i was 13 and there were mums in the in the group and and they were celebrated by, by throwing me up and down when i was yeah. at scored so uh, it's completely different atmosphere than it is, it is now but i enjoyed it very much i could play i could finally play and what position did you play i started left wing okay yeah a tricky winger uh, yeah, but uh, as a little kid, uh, yeah. but I ended up centre defender. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that the centre defender has been my best position internationally. Yeah. I often find uh, with people like that, say yourself, and now to, to, as as you've gone on to coach and to manage, ha, did that come from your years of playing in central defence in terms of reading the game and seeing everything in front of you? Um, would you would you say your coaching kind of um, came from maybe your experiences as a player like that at centre half? Yeah. I, I think it's the other way around. I think that I ended up a centre defender because this is my talent. Okay. Um, so as a player, I was already the coach more or less okay. on the on the squad. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I was really uh, the line from the coach towards the player. So um, yeah, I, I think. Oh, some players have the talent to dribble, other have the talent to score. Um, then there's a real good defenders who will never... And I was a bit in between. I, I was a defender from nature, but my biggest talent was to organise everything so that the ball stayed away from our goal. And was that a manager then that made that decision to move you from a left wing back to centre half? Someone who may have been influential on your career, or was that a decision you realised I'm, I'm... Well, it went slowly because I, I, uh, my club career was mostly uh, in midfield, mm. uh, centre midfield uh, as a playmaker. But at the international level, I immediately um, was put in the, in the back line because that was my biggest talent. Even from myself and my own experiences of reading up on the Dutch system and what to try and do and obviously Ajax to fit as, as they're developing players and stuff, they teach players to play in all sorts of different positions to get a better understanding of the game. Was that something that they were trying to implement with the women's game as well at the time? And now they do, but back then back there was then. no there was no youth development, there was hardly any coaching, um, so only the street football players would really develop further. Okay. Um, and I learned to play at, at the street most of all. Okay, with your brothers. Yeah. Okay, and then, so when you were 18, you moved to Vreerswijk. Vreerswijk, yeah. yeah. Am I getting that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, almost. Okay, and at that stage then, was that when you started to maybe think there could be a career in this for myself? Yeah, yeah. I realised that within my club, I, I, I love the club and I still love the club. Mm. Uh, but I couldn't get further. Okay. Um, the limit, yeah, the, the ceiling was just too low for me. Um, so I had to be honest and um, I had to leave for my friends and, and go to, uh, to, to a club that played for the national championship. And that was Veerswick? Yeah. Yeah. And you spent seven years there with them as well? Oh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how was the experience with them in terms of, I suppose... It was good. It was a pay, the, the coach was paid and licensed. Okay. Uh, I'm still in contact with him. Um, and the club had had aspirations to become the champion of the Netherlands. Um, they were having extra training sessions. There was a structure to 
to play at the highest level. Okay. So the demands of yeah, and the demands of me were higher. Um, so that is, yeah, as a top player, you want to, to have higher demands for you. And the fact that I suppose now, again, I go back to the, the modern world we live in now, there's so many opportunities for young girls, if that was the career, if that's the career path they want to choose. But for you, was there ever any hard conversations maybe between your mum and dad or parents because you wanted to go down the football road or were they trying to kind of rein it in a little bit and maybe more towards education or whatever? Was yeah. there... A, Ever them conversations? No, the only thing that I remember when I uh, went to the University of Physical Education and then wanted to specialize into coaching, that they were a bit worried if I would find a job. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, you know, because there may not have been the opportunities back then. Yeah. So so they offered for me to to study physiotherapies because there would be jobs in that and they knew that I wanted to be in sport. But um, yeah, they, they accepted it. I was so determined. Um, and the, my, my first years um, during my career that I had to work because it was amateurism, so I had to pay to play even. Um, uh, I, did, I did my uh, work practice within sport um, and then they wanted to keep me, because, but there was no money to keep me. Okay. So the first years I worked um, with uh, subsistences from the government, so for unemployment. Okay. But I got the, let's say, the right to work with it and I saw that part as my salary. Okay. Um, and they agreed because I said I need experience to make a living out of here. Mm. Um, and there's no jobs yet for women in football. So if you give me the time to experience that and that I could work there within the Dutch FA while keeping your subsistences, mm. then um, uh, then I'll be okay in the future. Okay. And how they did... Believe me. So, <laughs> so how did the move come about then to Medina? Because you became the first female Dutch player to play professionally outside the country, which must have been made huge news back then at the time. Yeah, especially because uh, Van Basten and Ruud Gullit and Rijkaard were at that moment uh, at well, Milan. Yeah, they, were, okay. they just moved there um, that year. Okay. So I was number four, but I was a female. Uh, there was a lot of publicity, yeah. yeah. And, and for me, I said, you never, you never noticed me playing. You were never interested. Now I'm going, now I signed a contract in Italy, yeah. which back then was the place to be. Um, now you're suddenly interested. I didn't, I couldn't grasp that. I okay. couldn't understand it. So how did that come about? Did Modena see you playing for your team yeah. back in Holland and approach you? No, with the national team. Okay, the national team. We played Italy with the national team and that's probably been one of my best games. Mm. Uh, I was dominating where I was playing and then they caught me. And of course, you went on to have, was it 89 caps in total? Yeah. 89, two goals. Yeah, I have done my homework, I told yeah. you. Only two, Northern Ireland and Sweden. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very good. Um, but it's, it's really interesting, I suppose, the move to Medina then. How did you find from, I suppose, your experiences in what was going on back home in your national country to move to Medina in terms of it being more professional? And obviously, as you say, Italy was the place to be back then. How did you find that transformation? I loved it. Okay. I just loved it. Uh, it was no, it was not difficult at all. Um, Were they full time at the time? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but for me, uh, I was alone there. I didn't speak the language. Um, I only knew uh, calcio, okay. which means football. That's the only word I knew. So that's when all I you entered. need to know. <laughs> but I could speak French, and my coach spoke French. So that's how we communicated. But I made sure that from the club I got the um, let's say, let's say the, the the payments 
to have every single morning mm-hmm. um, uh, Italian lessons. So I studied Italian okay. because I needed to speak Italian as quickly as possible. Back then, nobody spoke English, nobody spoke French, nobody spoke any other language. Okay. And so within three months, I was alone. So within three months, I could understand everything. Mm-hmm. And within four months, I spoke yeah, and you obviously say football is the universal language, but in terms of actually just relationships with players and management and all, you do have to have an understanding of the language. Of course, I was there on my own. Yeah. If I wouldn't be able to communicate, I would, yeah, I would be very lonely, of course. Yeah. Uh, but Italians, um, when they are in a group, everybody who's part of that group, they take care of. Okay. Uh, that's still so it's the a really case. family environment type yeah. thing. Okay. Yeah. So the first evening, they were already at my apartment to ring and ask me to go with them for dinner. Uh, and so they didn't leave me on my own. Okay, they, look, they looked after you well. Really, really well. There were moments that I had to ask him, please, tonight, I want to be on my own. Okay, it's okay. okay to be okay. on my own. And uh, they wanted sure? to bring every sure? night. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, that's, it's good to very know. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Good. So you must have been a huge inspiration then for your teammates with the Netherlands if you were the first player, obviously, to go and play professionally outside the country. I believe so, yeah. I believe so. I was the same when I came back. Uh, for me, there was no difference. Mm. But I felt that in my environment, people saw me differently. So it became a real role model for the other girls and your yeah. teammates. Yeah. So when you went back, say, to meet up for international games, would there be constantly questions and quizzing you what it's like? And uh, Back then, um, in, in that year that I was there, I had a contract for two years. Mm. And after that year, could sign for another five years. But I returned home for the national team because the national team was going to train um, twice a week okay. uh, next to the club on the Tuesday and Thursday and my club wanted me to travel up and down okay. but then I found that I felt that I'm going to live in two worlds I don't want that um, so I actually stopped my professional career in Italy to be able to be part of, of the national team okay so if, the, if they were training on a Tuesday and Thursday with the national team were you not playing club football at the time? Yeah, okay. but there were, uh, like now in Ireland, uh, there's many clubs still training twice a week. Yeah. On the other two nights, there was the national team, okay. so we trained four times, and then I trained with boys also. Uh, we trained too much, actually. And you've obviously gone on, as you say, you look back fondly on the career in terms of the amount of caps with the Netherlands and all, but the fact that you had to stop the professional career, is that a little regret, looking back? Um, the only regret right is move? that... Um, the moment that we were entering the top of the of the European Championships, that was the moment that I ruptured my uh, knee ligaments. Okay. So, uh, yeah, but I said back then, you, you don't know, you don't know that that would happen. Mm. That I would have made the same choice because my I always said my orange heart was bigger than my money heart. Okay. Uh, Interesting. Line. And it was fantastic. Your, your orange heart was always bigger than your money heart. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Now you have a green heart, do you? Now you have a green heart. I definitely <laughs> have. I definitely have. Very good, very yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, it's a good line, all right. Um, and I suppose it's it's difficult to say because now, as I, as I keep referencing, there's so many more opportunities for young girls. But it might have been a different choice for you had you been playing now in terms of, um, obviously, there's more financial reward for the girls. Yeah. Back then, obviously, there wasn't. I came back from Italy um, and I earned already €2,000 a month plus an apartment, plus a car, okay. plus, so that was good money, good money back yeah, then. Yeah. I'm talking about 88, yeah. eh? so that would be now maybe twelve or 15,000 wow. or so. 
Um, so you were earning good money at the time. I was. So that yeah. was a big decision to turn to to step away from that to go back to Holland. Yeah. I went back Holland and I had to pay to play again. Yeah. I had to pay the fee to for for the showers and for okay. the pitch. <laughs> so yes, the orange heart was much bigger. It was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And it's not that I didn't like it in it. I loved it. It was a big decision, but. At the other hand, it was not a big decision because um, my my nature was really I wanted to go for the very very top level. Okay. And my orange heart was bigger. Okay. And you mentioned the injury. So was that the main reason then you had to stop playing? No, I uh, at at that moment of course. Mm. Um, but I played another twelve years after. Okay. Ten years. Ten years after. But, but when does, I suppose, at what point during your playing days do you start thinking about the coaching career? That was during my my playing career because I worked for the Dutch FA already. Mm. Um, uh, like I just uh, explained there how I got in. Um, and part of it was uh, creating also the courses, um, um, helping coaches to coach the teams. Um, so I went with a coach as an assistant coach to help him starting. So that coach. was always kind of ingrained in you. You, yeah. you. you always had it in your head that when, yeah. when, the, when the plane stopped, you would go down that coaching road. Yeah. 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 And I suppose the first coaching role then you took was the Scottish national team. How does how do you go from playing in Holland to taking over the Scottish national team? Yeah, so um, my my husband, yeah. um, he was the assistant, assistant manager, manager of Rangers of the Advocaat, uh, and he got offered this job. He didn't want to take it because he didn't want to stop my career. Okay, wow, and a good I, man. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's the love of my life. Okay. He still is, um, and. I said, well, you, we need to take this chance. You will never, ever get a chance like this. Mm. I'm so happy that I really made a fight of him pers persuading him to do it because we had such a great time. We went to uh, Scotland. We went on house hunting and Craig Brown came to our hotel, back then the technical yeah. director of, of Scotland. Him, yeah. yeah. Um, so after chatting, because I knew him from UEFA and FIFA activities since '94, I was already involved in uh, as, as an instructor for FIFA and UEFA. So um, I said, "Well, to Bert in Dutch, I'll see you later. Go to the room. Just call me when you guys are ready." Mm. And Craig said, "Where are you going?" I said, "Well, I'll see you later. You you, you can do the business." He said, "But I'm not coming from him. I'm coming for you." Yeah. <laughs> Very good. And that's how where he offered me. Okay, to, so Craig to apply. Brown was the one who, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. And I suppose the fact that your husband was there with Rangers, it was probably an easy decision to make, was it? Well, he said, we cannot miss this opportunity. And I, and I never thought that this would be on my path because I was already gaining information to study and to go to the university or I had to use my time in a sensible way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I suddenly was technical director wow. and, and a national coach. Okay. And I suppose at the time... Uh, where was the Scottish game in terms of like how big a challenge was it or a bigger role to try and develop the women's game at the time? Uh, the Scottish FA just brought the women's game into the FA so I could really start from scratch. Okay. Uh, there was already a lot of activities but because a lot of uh, people did a lot to, to develop the game or to create opportunities for girls to play. Um, but it wasn't structured uh, in a way that it could grow. Mm. Uh, so my task was to, to unite it and, and to make steps to create a pathway for players, whether it was a good player or not so good player. Or, um, and we, together with Sheila Beckby, um, who became later the director of women's football, um, we've made huge, huge steps. Okay. Yeah, it was really fantastic. So you, you look back on that time very positive. Yeah, 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 brilliant. Yeah. 
My husband went back to Holland. Yeah. My contract will expire too. Um, so I went back to him and Betty Folks had taken over from Craig Brown by then. Uh, he called in the summer, never forget that phone call. He said, I've got your letter here that you will not extend your contract, but I'm not going to accept that. Okay. I said, well, we have a problem because we moved home already. Okay. So he came for you twice, Craig Brown? Yeah, no, this this Betty Fox. Okay. Yeah, Betty Fox from okay. the Germany. He became the technical director while I was. Uh, oh, Bertie Fox. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah. yeah. So he. So it was him who wanted to take you back. He to said, well, "Well, then we need to uh, okay. find a solution." And for two years, I've been traveling up and down. Actually, what I'm doing now with Ireland. Yeah. So it worked out okay then. Very well. Yeah, and it was six years in total. I yeah. think was it, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and in terms of, I suppose that at that point, then are you thinking, Vera? Um, now, I suppose you have so much experience when you look back on it now, but back then, was there a lot of things maybe you were obviously learning in terms of that role? Is there things you would look back on now and think there's so much more maybe I could have done or would have done, but but obviously because it was the first time you had taken a technical director role? You know, I was already doing uh, the stuff for a technical director for years for the Dutch okay. FA. Uh, I created the policy for the whole amateur football, so all the mil- one million players in the Netherlands. Uh, I was involved and, and had to write all the policy documents and prepare the policy and uh, making decisions and with directions we were going, talking to people and then uh, then creating policy of it. Mm. Um, so for me, it was just ongoing work. Okay. Um, for me, it was not a big step. It was very logical moment and I've never felt that I was thrown into the depth or I was doing something new. You were never phased by it as such? No, it it wasn't new because I was doing it already. Um, And of course you learn and I'm I'm now not the coach that I was back then because Mm. I've I've, experience. Yeah, experience, knowledge, you gain so much in those years. Um, But looking back, it was very, very successful. Mm. Um, We had a development plan for the whole game for uh, two and a half years and after one year we had to renew it because we had done everything already okay, what wow. was in this plan okay. uh, you were ahead of your time yeah all those steps that we had set and that everybody said you're crazy because you will never get there after a year we did it already Okay. so when the Dutch national FA come calling is that an easy decision to make as well in terms of obviously to go back to no. your no it was a very hard decision okay. very hard decision okay. Yeah. because you were so happy in Scotland yeah Okay. And, um, and what's but also because I was I knew that I had to start over again uh, because at that point the Dutch FA was the women's football within the Dutch FA was not in a good space. Okay. Yeah. So what swayed you then to make My that husband. decision? Okay. You wanted to go back to the love of your life. <laughs> no, I didn't want to pick up this job. Okay. Um, I really didn't want because I I had foreseen a lot of um, ways of dealing with it. Uh, the, the atmosphere in the Netherlands was not a real positive atmosphere at that moment. Okay. Um, and there was nothing like um, any involvement of people of the management to get women's football going. I had to do everything on my own, every single thing. So the fact that it was in, in such a bad place and it seemed from the outside looking in it was going to be a really difficult, challenge, challenging job, as you say, because of those reasons. Why did you take it then? Because the Dutch FA said, if you don't do it now, we will stop investing in the game. Okay, wow. So it was that critical? Yeah, they said this is the last, last try, and if you don't do it, we stop investing. We will, we will play the games. We will not invest in the game anymore. Okay. So, so I felt responsible, very responsible for the little girls of six-year-olds and their future. Absolutely, yeah. Almost like an obligation to to give back to. And the players, as I had asked for me, so um, I thought. 
if I don't do it now, mm. um, we will be thrown back so so far. And yeah, I felt that the sport that I love so much. Re- regardless of the brilliant career that you've had, and obviously 89 caps, that's a huge compliment to yourself that they felt if Vera doesn't do this, we're not going to invest anymore. Like, you know, so that's, as I say, a huge compliment to yourself and a, a big I suppose a, a huge legacy to leave that if, if you hadn't gone back and taken them forward at that time, who knows where Dutch women's football would be right now? Yeah, they wouldn't have been where they were now. Yeah. now because um, I've uh, set up mixed gender football, um, players uh, throughout the whole uh, youth are playing mixed gender football now. Mm. We've done research with the university. Um, we've set up regional teams, district teams for those players of mixed gender football. So the best were coming together to play with girls and then they were going to the club to play with boys. Um, and they were growing and um, training four or five times a week. Mm. But the moment they would step to the senior teams, they would drop back to two times training a week and with three months, all their level was gone. So we decided, well, I decided yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, of course, there were many people working with it, but I had to make every step and I had yeah. to take the calls out of the fire. That's what we say in Dutch. I don't yeah. know how you say it, no. but yeah, I had to burn my fingers Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, to get a top sport structure, a lead sport structure. Um, okay. And that came with the Eredivisie Premier League, yeah. uh, vrouwen, women yeah. in the Netherlands. Um, but we did it in a way that players would not end up on the bench, for example, not playing. So we had so-called satellite clubs, amateur clubs connected to the teams so that the bench players in the weekend could play with the amateur club. And the very best players were playing the league uh, on the Thursday. Um, We set up a talent team. So the the best players out of mixed gender football, the age of 17, 18 year old, they would live and stay together, train every day together. And that would become the under 19 squad. And from there, every every year, we would Divide the players honestly over the over the, the the teams so that the the teams were all on equal Even, level. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was a fantastic it was a fantastic situation, and okay. that's how we ended up qualifying for for the first time ever for the finals. Yeah, and of course that was then in two thousand and nine when yeah. you got to the semi final. Yeah. Do you look back on that and think if only, or we could have done more, or it's a no, pity we didn't win? No, no it, we were the debutants. Mm-hmm. We were by far the youngest team. The average age was 21.3. Wow. We had nine teenagers in the lineup. Okay. Um, because when you took over initially, it was 2004. So you implemented all that in such a short pa- space of time yeah. that by 2009, here you are qualifying yeah. for the first time ever. Nobody and expected to a anything. Yeah, but nobody expected anything from us. We were by far the lowest ranked team. We were to ranked 25, so just above... Our Even such a great nation like the Netherlands, from like the football yeah, we, history. We talk, we talk a good game, eh? that's yeah. what we say. If yeah, it's about yeah, yeah. women women and, and career developments, yeah. we talk a good game. We're not so we're not so good. Everybody thinks that we are so open and good, but uh, emancipation-wise. Uh, but the United Nations has warned the Netherlands already several times because they have to really put action to their words. Um, because we're below Pakistan in the number of female managers wow. in within the companies in the Netherlands. Okay. So it is not the, the, the Scotland has a better place. Ireland now is a, by far a better place than we had. Okay. Um, so if that's the case, and and that was the attitude, we, we ever the Netherlands doesn't have equal pay. Yet. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. now we do. So and they the green, are European the champion. Heart. 
and finalists of the world champion and they do not have equal pay yeah. they only will introduce it in 2023 well we will come to that because obviously that was announced yeah sorry i had to say it no, because no, i'm we'll so proud we will come to that because <laughs> i i really want to get into the whole ireland story with you yeah. but i just wanted to trace it through the years first in terms of um where you've been in the coaching career but the netherlands thing then so obviously you had had achieved so much got to the semi-final why did it end then in 2010 yeah, that is a very difficult story, which I probably don't want to talk about. Okay, no yeah. problem, because uh, I did. It, it, it was like as if it just came to an abrupt end, and considering yeah. you had done so well. Players were so angry, they, they wanted to strike, they didn't want to play anymore. Um, the press didn't understand, everybody didn't understand, but the reasons I would like to keep for myself. That's no problem that at okay. all. So I suppose the role came about then, you, like you travelled the world, Russia, South Africa, um, and, and amazing jobs and amazing roles really all over the world. Do, does the travelling side of things or uprooting ever phase you? No, you're, you're happy to go wherever. Yeah, no, no, that is that is something that, that really stopped me from extending my contract in South Africa, for example. Okay. It, it was an amazing place to be there. Because even, um, so I was reading some of your quotes when you took over and how excited you were by that project. And I think you you'd qualified for the 2016 Olympics. Yeah. But then the contract came to an end. And again, is that something you would have loved to have carried on? Um. Well, they begged me to carry on, to be honest. Um, and they asked me six there, times already. There's a bit of a pattern here, Vera, that when the contract comes in, they're all coming running and looking for you again. The same thing happened here in Ireland. After the contract was up, you obviously extended as well. So Yeah, maybe because I really put my heart in it yeah. and I go for something. And, and, and the players and the people around, um, I connect probably very much with them because... Um, let's say that the, the drive of, of sport and development of sport is something that you do together. So you mm. really create a bond with each other. And our performances at the Olympics would not show so much. But if you just lose in the last second from Sweden um, by a mistake of your own goalkeeper, mm. if you're putting China under pressure constantly, but they scored the last minute of the first half and at the last minute of the second half when we have five strikers and only two defenders left. Mm. Um, Brazil, that we put Brazil under pressure, um, but that the ball on the, on the crossbar or the post will not go in. They have done really, really well as a country ranked 52 on the world ranking list. Okay. Um, and we could push against USA in a friendly until um, extra time. Um, and we lost 1-0, but putting USA under pressure, being ranked 52 and not being rated by anyone. Mm. I mean, it was just amazing. amazing yeah. Players uh, were so talented, all street football players. And my job was just creating the, the, the opportunities for them to develop, um, to become a team, um, but also their body to, to develop. Because there were players who didn't have eat, food to eat, um, who didn't have uh, water in the house, who didn't have electricity wow. in the house. Okay. And, and if so it's together, constant challenges yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and if my husband would have been there, I would have stayed okay, for okay. sure. But you really do love this man, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> there was this moment. There, there was this moment that I thought, oh, only four weeks and I see him again. And I thought, there's something wrong here. Okay. If if it, when did if, you meet if him? I think only how, how, four how weeks. How old were you when you met him? He was my coach of the Dutch national team. Okay. Okay. Very very specific. Okay. Um, Typical, is that the right word? Well, you're But he stopped coaching when we... You have a beautiful really relationship anyway, and it's yeah, still going it strong. I yeah. can see that, so yeah. uh, it's brilliant. Yeah. But just in terms of, I suppose, um, the whole Irish thing then, 
when, like I've covered the games since you've taken over and you spoke there about the connection with the players and the relationship and all. The one word I described you as from listening to a couple of interviews after a couple of games, you're real infectious. I can feel that from you so I could see why players want to play for you to respond to you because you said you, you give your heart and soul find, into it. I find that as a, a compliment. Yeah, it is a major compliment yeah. because even that we covered a couple of the games and afterwards in the interview and the first thing I said was I can see why the girls would raise their game or want to play for Vera or they're inspired by her because you are a real infectious character. But in top sport, you, you always have these moments that you have conflict with each other. But, but how, the respect how much, that we have towards each other is huge. Absolutely, but but how much emphasis do you put on the side of the man management or woman management side of things, or the tactical side, or is it somewhere in the middle? There's a happy medium to be to be met. There, there's a human being who wants to develop within a team that wants to perform, okay. uh, and that is yeah, you need to see the players. But I'm not a player that is on the on the backside of players. I'm not calling them every week or sending them stuff every week because in my philosophy you need to concentrate when you're on the sp- with your club mm-hmm. and I leave you there because I'm not bothering you you have to focus on your club when you're with your club because otherwise you cannot perform for your club okay. and when it's getting closer the block for the national team that's the national team and then we work so hard with each other so there's so there's not much contact with the girls say for example Katie McCabe plays really well at the weekend in the opening game and, and does well. You don't be ringing her or texting her, well done, Katie, I'm delighted uh, Of course, if you there's something special yeah. happening. Uh, but, but it's uh, not a constant kind but of it's communication. Not, I'm not trying to influence the play or unless a, a player shows to me okay. that she doesn't get the support at the club. So it's always, if you need support, I'm there. I'm but then you ask me. Okay. Um, and there's players that I've been uh, working on with video that I clipped moments and we discussed those moments because she didn't get that from her club coach okay um and then i'm always there to help them and i will always put all my energy in it for those players and and that is most of all actually uh, bench players or players who are on the fringe because the other players are at clubs where where they do have uh, um, but the the relation with the coach i'm always discussing it also with the coach and when i work with the player and to ask and to discuss those moments and if the coach is seeing it is in the same way um and then by doing that we well we develop so tell me this this is the big question that i wanted to know and i've kind of have a fair idea now from some of the answers earlier on with the different countries that you have managed and and the different roles that you've had why ireland Um, <laughs> that's not know. the reaction I wanted, Vera. I know. I know. <laughs> Let me tell you, I had decided I do not leave my husband anymore. It's back to the husband again. Okay. You made the decision. You weren't leaving him again. No. Um, so the doctor called me. Yeah. And I said, no. Okay. I said, I love Ireland. I would love to work that. No, I'm not leaving, uh, leaving my husband again. So then we were discussing candidates and he was trying and trying and called me again and tried to persuade me and I no, 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 no. And then there was this moment that he came up with a question and said, I'm honest now, eh? <laughs> if you choose for him then I'm going to do it. He said. <laughs> and then he said, well, can we at least talk then? But then things happened. Because I said, well, that will be impossible because we leave on our holidays. We go to Austria. We go into the mountains. And and when I said, well, the only way, only place we could talk was in Frankfurt at the airport. Uh, that's the, And I thought, this is it. 
two minutes later, the president and the CEO had booked a flight to be there the next day okay. in Frankfurt. And I thought, okay, now I need to talk. Of course, <laughs> I cannot say no now. With um, uh, Mooney... Um, Noel. Yeah, Noel Mooney. His, uh, his wife just gave birth the day before. Yeah. And he came to Frankfurt while his wife wow. gave birth to the kid, his okay. first kid the day before. I know Noel well. I know Noel So really I well. thought, this is really serious. And when I, if I would have known, I would have said, no, no, no. We do it a few days later. Yeah. Um, but he told me when he was there. Wow, that's amazing from Noel's point it of view. It is amazing, especially knowing that he was an interim. Yeah. Um, so I spoke to the, with the president and CEO, and um, we had an hour, and it became four hours, and we were already talking about the development of the game and the gaps and where we took yeah. and, uh, uh. During that time, Vera... So, so next so, morning I signed. <laughs> so if, if you're having those conversations with Noel and the CEO, was your husband with you? No, no, no. Okay, it's just not. you. No. Okay, yeah. he was there, but he was in the room. <laughs> so did you? Did you? Had you made the decision with your husband that because you weren't involved with football at the time? Were you more or less saying, "I'm, I'm kind of done. I'm not leaving my husband anymore"? Would it be? Would you have only maybe taken a role back in Holland where you're still around your husband? There was plenty. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so four hours later, and you signed the next day. Uh, they said we will not leave here without yeah. your signature. Wow. And I said, you well, really are then, you need, then I said, then you need to stay here because I will not sign today. That's amazing, yeah. It's but brilliant. then um, I was, uh, and I really, I didn't sign immediately. I need to okay, sleep. So tell, me, to tell me the conversation that evening then with your husband. How did that go? He said, you have to do it. Okay. Because at the end, I called him, we would have something to eat and they had to catch the flight. And they really, we need to go now. Yeah. We, I need to go because my flight is yeah. leaving. And, um, and then he said, well, I saw the spark in your eyes and I was so happy to see that again. And you have to do it. Brilliant. And I said, well, I want to sleep over. I don't, I'm not, but the next morning, yeah. He sounds like a great man. He is, yeah. Very supportive in, in very, all your very roles. Very much, yeah. 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 And, and is he involved in football now? Um, he's older than I am. Yeah. Uh, we have an age cap of 17 years. Okay, wow. So he's now 75, unfortunately, because uh, we don't, we want the time to stop. Um, but he's very healthy. He's very good. He, he biked 12,000 kilometers last year. So okay, wow. Well. But he's, he's done with football. Yeah. Although on the fringe, you've never done that. So he's still writing and he's still advising. And, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So we get to the role, Vera. How much did you know in terms of obviously the conversations with Noel and the see? But how much did you know about the group that you were taking over from maybe checking, from looking in from the outside? Were you excited by... Um, obviously the challenge ahead because of the girls or did you see enough talent from the outside that you thought I could really make a go of things here with these especially girls especially the mentality mm. and the drive and the atmosphere uh, that if that comes to me then I can work okay yeah and doesn't matter um, what the perspective is but I always see then possibilities if the players really really want and the staff around really really wants and the office and management uh, really, when really did you nice. get that first sense when you first met with the group? Um, well, I've se I had seen uh, games, of yeah, course. Yeah. Uh, I did and you could tell even then? Without telling Ruth, but I was watching the games, of course. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, because I, I, I had to know what I was talking about. And the drive of the players, uh, you, could, you could feel it that they really, really wanted something. And that's, um, yeah, that got to my heart. And when something gets to my heart, and I cannot stop myself. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it's gone so well. Obviously, we were as we were so close in qualification. Obviously, for the Euros twenty twenty two, and still hurts. Yeah, does it? Yeah. How do you feel about that now, looking back? 
Yeah, that, that um, we really have, have discussed it also with UEFA. Um, there's more countries having, um, having had this situation that if you have um, a situation where the numbers one and two qualify and only a few numbers three, it always comes back in women's football because the gap between the numbers for the seeded teams is mm. big with, the, with the, the second and third place. It always comes back to one game. And if this one game is going against you, then you have to wait four years for your development. And um, with us, it was against Ukraine, a pass back from Anya. Anya, I remember it well, yeah. Yeah, and you couldn't believe that game, how that went. Uh, Ukraine ranked above us, but we were just completely... And we had beaten them at home as well. And we had beaten them at home. And, um, well, crossbar, penalty miss. uh, It was was one of those games. So it is... uh, Well, Scotland had it also in Finland, eh? Um, it's if you have a system like that, you will always have situations where the best team is not qualifying. And I think UEFA should look into that. It's very easy to solve. Mm. If you have numbers two and three playing playoffs, instead of the numbers two and only two or three numbers three, then you've sorted it. But you need one more round. Mm. Um, and if you really care about the game, you do that. Because you, they have to see that every qualification phase, this is coming back. So the progress that has been made from the day you took over on the 4th of September 2019, the progress from then up until that game in the Ukraine, how fi- how well do you think it's gone in terms of the girls' development and where they're at? Well, if you see with COVID and, and not seeing each other for four months and players who who I need, had to give programs because they didn't know what to do because they were in a lockdown. And, and if you see that every single game we get better... Mm. Uh, and I hope that people see that, but every single game oh, we are progress. getting better. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the play is getting better, the results not yet, but the play is getting better. Um, and we can face high-level opposition and really showing something and, and getting closer and being unlucky of not having a result. There's no other way that it, this will go further because we had only in April the first friendly game. And only in April we could see other players than uh, the, the, how do you say it, the, the most likely players playing the qualification games. Mm. Because in a qualification game, without uh, a long preparation, you cannot take the risk to change players just for changing sake. Mm. And we could only do that in, uh, in, in April, a year and a half after I was appointed. Okay. Yeah, that was the first time. So do you, like you, we mentioned it earlier when you took over the Netherlands that it was the first time you'd ever qualified. Do you believe you're the woman to take Ireland to we the first ever done it already. I really should have, yeah, yeah. but yeah. but uh, unfortunately we didn't. But we in terms believe. of the World Cup qualif- qualification, yeah, would you be quietly confident? Well, quietly confident is something um, as if things will go by itself. I think this group is so hungry to get this result. Okay. And there's still such a space in development because if you develop so fast and hardly seeing each other and being so concentrated when we're together um, with the fantastic staff that I have around myself because that's really top, top class, male or female, it's top class what we have around. Um, yeah, then... then there's no other, um, let's say, uh, uh, solution okay. than qualifying. Okay, very good. That's a good way of putting it then. Yeah, and we, and we, we tr- truly believe in it. I know it's probably unfair to pick out one or two of the girls, but yeah. Denise O'Sullivan is just incredible, isn't she? Yeah, 
She is. Yeah, she is. Others also, and she will be the last one saying this. Yeah. That is her big quality because yeah. she's such a team player. Yeah. Um, but there's and very highly what, Ke- what Katie players. is doing and yeah. all, and in terms yeah. of where she's playing. Katie's at developing yeah. very fast to a, to a, a, a really mature, high level. high level mature player. Uh, that you cannot think away. We don't. We we still don't know where to put her to get the best out of her. Mm. Uh, because where do you Arsenal think is her best position? Yeah, in Arsenal she's playing very well, but then she has other players around her that create opportunity for her to play the way she plays. Okay. Um, so for Ireland, we want to have her higher up uh, to have more influence on the attack. Mm. Um, but equally, she's better if she gets there than yeah. when she's there already. Yeah, coming onto the game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, she's. A but great I feel that 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 she's getting further up. She is. She's a great player. Yeah, and and that must be exciting. And I and I think as well, like we mentioned earlier. The brilliant news, obviously, the announcement, the equal pay as well. So the strides that are being made, and even I can see it, even with the the Women's National League here, is really, really good. And obviously, this year we have a proper title race as well, and yeah. it's looking good with Shelburne improving and P-Mount. And obviously the Cup, the new sponsors, Evoke.ie as well for the Cup as well. So I can see the speed at which the game is progressing here and developing. And obviously, there's still a long way to go. But it's really exciting, I suppose, for everyone involved in the game. Um, yeah, and that's all credit to the people working so hard in the clubs. When I arrived, um, and I don't know if I can say that, but but let's just do it. I felt a real division into like the clubs were here and they were um, especially fighting against yeah. an association who really wanted to do well, but somehow there was things constantly in between. Yeah. Uh, but even between the, the national teams, um, there was not much cooperation. Um, and and that yeah I, I don't know if that had to do with personnel but there was not much togetherness and if I see how the people worked so hard to get that especially that togetherness back okay um, my so way even, of working even, is togetherness yeah I, even in that couple of years you can see that yeah yeah because that's but a major I think problem that, that is maybe my role was to get to 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 open the togetherness okay. and to just go for it even even within COVID because I couldn't see the coaches I couldn't see the games I couldn't go to to the clubs yeah. and of course that was very frustrating for them um which I could understand, but I couldn't travel, so I, there was there was just no way that I mm. could I could physically be there. Mm. Um, but I think now that I can travel again, and all the coaches um, of the national teams are doing the same thing, and we meet every other week. We meet with all the coaches, and we discuss all the developments, and we discuss players, and we like tonight we have a home base session. Okay. All the coaches are there. And we all take care of the whole range of talented players. We do things together mm. um, with the clubs. We do things together. When I call the coaches, they give back. They call me when there's a player who's really developing or when there's something to discuss about a player. So and when re- I started, that, that wasn't there. No, and I can f- I can see that even, say, from the men's perspective with Stephen Kenny, there's continuity right down. Stephen cares like yourself all the way down through the underage groups. They're all singing off the same hymn sheet. You can obviously, you're doing that yourself. I see pictures of you at the games going to the home base games and it's brilliant and, and and people feed off that fear as well because they get a sense if the international team manager is coming to watch us Dave. but the fact that it is uh, both at men's side and women's mm. side that's all credit to Ruud Doctor okay. because he is creating this uh, togetherness he's creating a philosophy that might not be always supported by everybody mm. but it's clear it's objective it goes somewhere and uh, it has all to uh, relate relation to the the development of the individual 
and not to please people or to for, for him the individual the player whether it's a six-year-old player boy or girl whether it's a national team player man or woman mm. for him it's all about that those players get the opportunity to develop and he created pathways for that and he created a structure and he gets the people together and um, and I think that he doesn't get enough credit because I see what he's doing, how hard he's working and what he's doing, but he's not a man that gets on the forefront. He's mm. not a man that it's in front it's of, of the, the camera. Well, he, he is doing the job like it's supposed to be done. Mm. Um, and I've got huge respect for that. That was one of the reasons I knew that I could work in the way that I wanted to work. And he would um, he would not fight it. He would support it, and he would be there for me. Okay. So we have critical discussions. Um, otherwise, would, yeah. of course. Yeah. And I, w- I want that. Yeah. Um, but he will always support me. Yeah. It sounds like it's really exciting, Vera. Obviously, the World Cup campaign uh, this year. Hopefully. You do qualify. I would love to see that. I'd love to be, see that big smile on your face. And I think it would be a nice present for Bert as well if you were to qualify and bring him to a World Cup. Uh, he will be there. <laughs> the moment that can qualify, you will be in the Yeah, I want to meet Bert now I'll, after I'll all. Make sure, I will make sure you meet him. After these glowing references, he sounds like an amazing man. Yes. But um, yes. it's been an absolute pleasure, Vera. Yeah, lovely to meet you. And I do wish you well in the role. It's gone really well so far. Um, and I say hopefully we can top it off with that qualification. It would but be brilliant. Let's, it, it's... it's Credit to the players and to the club people because they have done all the hard work and they have opened themselves. Okay, brilliant. Thanks. Thank you.